Hi, this is Kale Ward. And this is Jessica Burton. And this is a podcast that we still don't quite have a name for yet. Come on. No, we're not going on what we discussed. So we've talked about the long haul mm-hmm. and back again. Mm-hmm. I like it. I think it's good. I'm just thinking about the branding. <sighs> the long haul and back again podcast. Yeah. It's such a mouthful. It is. But the but the I'm back again is in brackets. But there's already a long haul yeah. podcast. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll be back soon with an actual still, title for Still this. thinking about it. We're still thinking about it. Do you have a suggestion? Please let us know. Don't. I mean, by the time we post it, we'll probably have a have a name. Don't. Right? I don't want to hear your garbage. <laughs> Nathan. Well, <laughs> um, so we're going to Angoulême this weekend. Yay! Which is, as I understand it, a um a, a, a comic con that takes over a small french town mm-hmm. so its official title is festival international de la bonne dessinée so it's a huge comics festival and it's a bit more it's not like comic con as such it's a bit more like thought bubble in leeds which is more focused on kind of so like the an, craft like an arts festival more than yeah sort of but it really takes over the entire town and it's just amazing to see um we're only actually going for a day because barely that yeah because it's so popular and busy that the hotels get booked like six months in advance so we just couldn't find anywhere so we're gonna travel 10 hours to get there to spend five hours there to travel 10 hours back over the weekend so that's gonna be fun but it's so good that it truly is worth it how long are we going to need to spend there? Five hours. Oh, it better be long. Yeah, <laughs> it will. It will. It's even just to see it. It's amazing. So like, you know, like Thought Bubble has three tents because it's yeah. got bigger yeah, and bigger yeah, yeah. and it can't fit. Right. Angolam has Plus 15. The... I think anyway. All right. As a vague thought on the map that I just looked at, but. It also has like exhibition spaces and it also has the National Museum of Comics in the town. Oh. Yeah. So, and it has streets named after Hergé, the creator of Tintin. It has streets named Gozani, the creator, uh, one of the creators of Asterix. Um, so it's great. It's really good fun. And I hope you enjoy it. Um, I promise I won't. Um <laughs> Are there, is there any particular thing you're excited about? Not really, because it's the whole experience. And I've, I've only ever been to this once myself, I have to say. Um, but everybody goes there and it's a big party and it's where everybody meets up Hmm. for the year. It's because it's international. It's all the European creators as well as the American ones. Like there's American editors and publishers mm-hmm. there too which is gonna be really cool how about you you excited for anything um i you know i sort of expect to just be excited to be there yeah you know this obviously because you were there but when we went to uh the first time we went to even it was just like uh, a cora here which for uh i don't know a regular listener's 
from America. I don't know why I called them the regular listeners. Hey, whoa, here we go. Country rivalry going on. What about the British ones? No, they don't listen. Um, it would be like a Tesco or like a Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is, okay, is what good, I would, good cross-cultural uh, it, yeah, reference. Yeah, is what I would equate it to. So there was just a, a big wall of Bon Dessinet. Yeah, which is comics um, for, to translate that. And, and I, like, I've never seen a wall of comics like yeah, that. In, in a supermarket. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do think we should do an episode about that in itself. So maybe save a little of that for another time. But yeah, it's just, it's so huge here. So I expect, that's, I think that's what I expect the most, mm-hmm. is to just walk around enthralled. Yep, and have it be something respected, rather than on the fringes of a Comic-Con of, mm. you know, American standards. Mm. That's very commercial and all that kind of thing. I mean, it is commercial. You can buy an absolute load of stuff, but it's more the arty side of it. Mm. Uh, but enough about that garbage. Yeah. Have you learned anything this week? Well, so like I said last week, I'm doing a PhD, so I learn things pretty much all day, every day. So because it's kind of a comics-y episode this week, what mm. I'm going to talk about is actually something historical that I learned. Um, so I work in a history department with lots of historians working on some really cool things. Um, and one of the guys doing a PhD, who's an older guy, he's in now I believe his 70s, but I don't want to put that on him in case it's how not d- true. How dare you? That's not old. Well, he's he's a pretty old guy anyway. He was, he's one of the big names in sorting through like Nazi archives and hidden papers and things. Really interesting stuff in a historical way, you know. Mm. Um, and so he was chatting to me yesterday and he was telling me about, he's now sorting through letters of Luxembourgish people who fled the occupation because Luxembourg was op- occupied in both world wars. So they fled to France and Belgium, which were also occupied, but they were fleeing to safer lands, as it were. And he was telling me about the letters between families. So this specific case he was reading about was a f- father who'd fled to France and the son had stayed in Luxembourg. So they were writing letters to each other. Now, through the letters, he found out that the father in France could only telephone in French because it was being tapped and they had to speak in French, basically, so the tappers could understand. So it was like official law that they could only speak in French. And the father couldn't speak French very well. So he had to have an interpreter to even call his son because he had to speak in French. Okay. Which is really interesting. But another side to it too was he said, oh, we've heard from cousin such and such in occupied Luxembourg. And they were able to speak freely because they were writing in Luxembourgish. Now, Luxembourgish as a language was not officially written down until the 80s. So they were basically just writing as they spoke, which then developed into a proper language. But because the Germans couldn't understand it, they were allowed to say, oh, I hate the German occupiers. I refuse to, you know, give the pledge to Hitler or wherever. And it was getting through because they couldn't understand it, which I found really interesting. Huh. How about you? Have you learned anything this week? So I am doing a, uh, a pitch for an anthology 
Um, that's all about um, death positivity. Okay. <clears throat> and it's you know kind of the the idea is to to take the you know the the scary part away from from dying yeah, and like sure. death culture. Um, and so I'm doing a pitch uh, with a, a friend of yours, uh, Amuna. Yay! Um, and we have kind of decided on our our sort of subject being uh, Chinese ghost marriages. Oh, interesting. So I, I've done just a, a bit of research on this, um, and I'm I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I am an expert in yeah, the, in sure. the Chinese cultural, sure. <clears throat> uh, you know, whatever. But um, so from from what I understand, like the the basic idea of it is that if if a, a an engaged couple if one of the spouses dies then to sort of carry on the the family the the alive person will marry the spirit mm-hmm. so that they're still part of the family right so in most cases i it seems like it's uh women who do this uh because the um if if the male dies it it goes into uh uh there's a lot of uh you know patriarchal um carrying on the the uh the family Mm. so uh it the wikipedia article called it uh the patrilineage okay there are a lot of uh, problems with the yes. the female being part of this, but <clears throat> they uh, they're they have to be celibate. They have to you know um, go live with the the husband's family. They um, echo figures a lot about uh, it figures a lot about you know general patriarchal society, doesn't it? Really? But... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the uh, one of the oh, and and by the way. This might be obvious, but it's worth stating the men, if this happens, um, and the, the, the male part of the marriage is still alive there, there are no disadvantages there, obviously. Of course. So, um, one of the things I found super interesting, and I'm still kind of trying to, to wrap my head around is, so if, if, um, uh, uh, a male of like eligible age dies and isn't married then if the family can get someone to marry his spirit or what or whatever then the 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 bride is used as sort of a uh, a social instrument is what is what the article called it in like air quotes to lead to like adoption right okay so what she does as like the representative of this marriage and sort of this household is adopts someone generally uh a nephew or you know uh the husband's brother's kid and she adopts that kid and that kid takes the place of the husband to carry on the lineage Right. Okay. Okay. Not, I, I not, see a little bit more now. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Not in like place of the husband, but like as her son to carry on the family right. name. Okay. Okay. Um, but it does. It does definitely seem like 
the woman is just kind of there and it's yep pretty standard um but i'm still learning about it for this for this story or whatever so i don't think it's gonna get any better but yeah interesting yeah and it's certainly something you learn this week so that is interesting all right so it is my turn i think you go first this week yeah it's my turn to go first this week and if you remember folks our theme this week is comics we spun the magic wheel and it decided for us so this week i'm gonna talk about my favorite character from a comic from when i was a kid and her name is minnie the minx i think you've probably seen her around do do you remember the statue in dundee so there's desperate dan and then a smaller one is minnie the minx the little kid kind of following him yeah okay Okay. how dare you minnie set her own trends as you'll soon find out she's following him on the street like i Nope. I, like, I'm just stating the fact. I can't... <laughs> She's minxing, which I'll also explain in a second. And I'll also explain a little bit about the statue, too. So Minnie the Minx made her first appearance on the 19th of December in 1953. Now, I went on the official character biography on the Beano's website, which is the comic she features in. And she's either 10 or 13, depending on stories. She's mm-hmm. one of these characters that's been running for so long that there's, like, different tangents and different things people say about her and everything um but it makes her the third longest longest running beano character after dennis the menace the obvious one and roger the dodger do you know anything about these characters uh dennis the menace is obvious america has their own dennis the menace yeah plus i went to school in dundee yeah i know exactly so I've never heard of Roger the Dodger. Yeah, he's pretty good. I mean, pretty much every series in the Beano is kids causing mischief yeah. of some variety. As it should be. Yeah, of course. Um, so, Minnie the Minx's relationship to Dennis the Menace, it comes about that... Now, again, official Beano website says that she's his cousin... I also read various Wikipedia things that said eventually they get married in, like, a fan comic. Dennis and Minnie? Yeah, so I was like, so are they cousins, or is this this weird British tradition in literature where, like, you just marry your cousin for the sake of it, and it's super weird. But we're going to ignore that, because I don't want to believe that. And, I mean, she's still 10 slash 13 currently. Her comic is still running, and she's 10 slash 13. Dennis. You know, you know what? I'm gonna go with ten. I'm gonna decide that now that she's ten. Dennis and Minnie, part of the aristocracy. But that's the point. Get, they're not. That no, too late. They're super working class. They're marrying class. each other, <laughs> marrying each other, just like the the king and queen. Yeah. That's the extent uh-huh, of the uh-huh, things I know uh-huh, about right. the king and yeah, queen. Sure. So. Uh, the the king that we don't have. Well, there's a queen. There has to be a king. Nope. Mm. Not true. No, that doesn't sound right. He's not. He is a... He's a prince. Yeah, he's a prince. Philip, right? Yep. Yeah. I was trying to remember his title. Anyway, I digress. Back to Minnie the Minx. So she was created to be Dennis's rival. So in some stories, they do meet and they cross over. And there's some stories where they like swap toys to cause different types of mischief. And Dennis's mischief is very, like, 
boy mischief, yeah. as it were. You know, he likes to cause trouble. He likes to break things. Minnie's is, and she describes this herself in an issue quite early on as Minxin, which is where she gets her name. Um, and it's more kind of like devious mischief. And she gets into fights with all the boys and stuff because she's a big tomboy and she fights with them all. Um, but her style of upset an adult is really like thought out and she kind of it's not intellectual because she's very like slapstick mm. but it's a bit more devious if you can if you know what I mean yeah uh, a bit more like uh, Nancy yeah you mean Nancy from Oliver Twist no I meant newspaper comic oh I, no I don't know what you're talking about then. <laughs> um they re- um, I, I've been following the the Nancy uh, Twitter page uh, because they got a new uh, a new writer for this long running title who who is you know she could be seen as like a an American girl version of right. American Dennis the Menace you could see her that way uh, slu- uh, Sluggo is lit. I don't know if you've seen that around no, Twitter. No, that sounds oh, okay. awful. Well, so that, no, it's not as tremendous. But they got um, this new sort of millennial writer who's, you know, hip and um, into the, you know, the, the culture. Mm-hmm. And it's it's given like a new life to this strip. So, um, All yeah. right, cool. Yeah. So, uh, but funny enough, that kind of leads me into my next point is that she's she's been revamped quite a lot because she's so long running. Um, I mean, she celebrated her 65th anniversary Mm. in 2018. And obviously she's had lots of creators as well as the Beano's gone through quite a lot of modernizing. Mm. They like, they have daily web comics. Now they have online games. They have the, the kind of typical magazines you see in like, stationery shops you know with a toy Mm -hmm. and like kids magazine kind of things um but originally she was drawn by Beano head guy Leo Baxendale which I think you all know about he basically started the Beano and he drew for pretty much all the series until god a long long time he drew many until 69 I think so a decent run on it and why? It's just a nice, nice mm-hmm. year. Don't. 1969. That's. So her real name is Hermione Makepeace. And I think why. Her- Hermione Makepeace? Yes. It's a, it's funny, you see, because she's, she's a well-known bad girl. That's good. Yeah. And she was created, I think, as I've said before, as Dennis's rival. And what I find interesting about it is, so there is a long tradition of comics in the UK, mostly aimed at boys, but girls did read them too. There's plenty of historical evidence that shows girls were reading these comics too. But then in the 50s, they kind of diverged and they were like, okay, we're going to make boys comics and we're going to make girls comics. Mm. They're two separate things. And what's interesting about Minnie is that she's a girl, she's doing pretty much the same things that Dennis is doing 
in a cleverer way. And she's rated on every poll as one of the top British comics characters. She has endured all this time. And she's all, like, I really liked her as a kid too because she's also book smart. She likes reading, which is part of why she's, her her tricks are quite clever mm. because she reads about things and she kind of figures them out. But at the end of every story, she gets her comeuppance too. She gets punished in some way sure. because, and I think I really identified with that as a kid because, you know, I was super bookish. Um, I was kind of tomboy and I wanted to cause mischief and it was almost like living th- living that through her because I never would do anything. I'd never break any rules. Mm. So seeing that is kind of like fun, but then you also see the consequences of it. So I really enjoyed that. But there's, and as I was researching this, I found a lot more of like how I identify with her. And I'm like, okay, now I get it. Because as a kid, like I loved her. She was my favorite. I got called that as a kid all the time by my family. Many of the Minks? Yep. And so I took a picture with the statue on my graduation because that was really important to me. She'd been a part of my life and Mm. I got to go to the university in the town where she was created and see the statue and graduate there. It was really cool. Um, So several other facts that are kind of like my life. Um, She was born on the 19th of December. My birthday is the 21st, which is pretty cool. Um, And she lived on 64 Gasworks Road. Now, my house in Liverpool isn't on Gasworks Road, but it faces a Gasworks. And I don't know, that just kind of was a fun detail to me. It's And it goes back to what I was saying about them being quite working class stories. You know, they live in an industrial Beano town, it's called. But you can see the traces of industry and a Gasworks. Now, What's a gasworks? Aha. So a gasworks is a giant steel cylindrical tower, which has, it's basically where all the town's gas is stored when it was still running through pipes. And it would come from this tower to all the houses. Hmm. So the, so you've got this, the big steel cylinder and then there's like another like, layer on top and that that falls and rises so say like winter evenings when everybody's got heating and it's using gas for cooking and things Mm -hmm. it'll go right down sure so i have a very good historical story about the gas works in liverpool in garston so i'm from garston like i say which is an old docking town it's where most of the ships go in to liverpool and it has the gas works and in world war ii liverpool was heavily bombed because they saw strategic sites so ports and things like that were heavily targeted and in world war ii a bomb dropped into the gas works and can you imagine if that had gone off that would have wiped out most of the south of the city yeah yeah so my Great aunt was evacuated from her house, which was just next to the gas works, to the next village along, which is like five minutes away by car. Yeah. They would not have survived no. anyway. But they were saved by one super heroic guy whose name I've completely forgotten. There was a comic about it. Yikes. Um, 
and he parachuted into the gasworks to defuse the bomb by himself. He was there for so long that they had to keep giving him oxygen because it, his oxygen was running out and he was in the gasworks. And it's just a really amazing story that then got immortalized in comic form. So that was a, a, a big diversion from Minnie the Minx. Interesting connection. It seems like his his name is Harold Nugas. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's something I should remember, really. It's quite almost like he was born to do that. Well, there you go. The Gasworks bomb hero. Harold Nugas. <laughs> Nugas. But, yeah, that's just an interesting side point, and she lives on Gasworks Road, and it's something that I saw every day and was kind of very much a part of my identity. And how I got introduced to Beano comics was through my uncle, who's a huge fan of them, and he was a huge fan because his granddad, my great-grandfather, used to send off to Scotland every week for the newspaper that contained them at first, would get them shipped down to Liverpool and then would share them with my uncle, who then in turn shared them with me. And I still have all of his annuals. So the way they were published was first in newspaper strips and then as comics, like kind of magazine comics with all the different strips in. And then they'd also publish yearly annuals with Mm. the best stories from the year in. Mm. And I still have all of his old annuals from 1971 to 89 or something wow. like that. So it's it's a big part of my identity. You know, comics, it's what I do as a job. It's what I research. And that's kind of how I got into it. So I really wanted to talk about Minnie because she's my favorite and she's good. Now, so to move on to, to newer times... Uh, Like I said, she celebrated her 65th anniversary. She's still going. Annuals are still going. Comics are still going. Like I said, all the online content is still going. She's been in the various video games that they have. I've never played them because I'd kind of like grown out of it a little bit with all this newfangled young content. Video games? Yeah. Like, are are you talking like website flash games or like... I for think like so. the Game Boy or No, I think they're like website games. Mm. You know, like little mini game things. Yeah. Um but I don't know. I haven't done too much investigating into it. Hmm. Uh there was a Dennis the Menace cartoon that I vividly remember watching as a kid. Um and I think Minnie featured in it, but I don't think she had her own. But as of June twenty eighteen there was news of a live action series about Minnie the Minx being in production, which, linking back to me, because apparently I'm very self-centered today, is going to be co-produced by Beano Studios and by Lime Pictures, which is a Liverpool-based TV company. So I'm very interested to see if that'll happen. I couldn't find any more updated news after June 2018 of it just saying it's in the works. So I don't know, which is... Really cool. I didn't know there was a Beano studio. Ah, this is also a new part of the revamping for the 21st century. Huh. They created Beano Studios in about 2002, I believe, to make kind of animated content 
internet content. Cross media. Yeah, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Um, and like we vaguely mentioned before, we studied in Dundee, the town where it was born, so they still have their publishing houses there. Right, right. They also have a small office in London that I used to walk past quite a bit. Um, and it had all of the the Beano characters in the window, which was really cool. Hmm. So yeah, that's Minnie the Minx. Minnie the Minx. How about you? What's your thing? <clears throat> so this week, you actually, you know a little bit about my thing. Okay. Uh, because we've been together for about a billion years. And I, I'm also... I'm also cheating a little bit. Okay. Because my exposure to this is mostly through TV. Okay. Um, but in the span of our relationship, I have gotten comics. <laughs> really? <laughs> so uh, it counts. Uh, mm-hmm. This week, I'm going to talk about The Tick. Oh, cool. Um, now, my first exposure to The Tick was the cartoon. Mm-hmm. On Saturday morning on Fox Kids, um, this would have been around 1994, 95 maybe. Okay. Um, I don't remember a lot about the show. Uh, I do remember that uh, the Tick's uh, primary nemesis was a guy with a, a chair for a head. <laughs> um, All right. I do remember that Arthur was a, a real weenie. I do remember that. What uh, does that mean? He's a he's a real um, a real wet blanket. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think what's a what's an accurate example. I'm sure I can think of many Tom examples, but I don't want to say them. Tom examples? Yeah, I'm sure he'd call him a lizard. Oh, I don't know what that means. Yeah, um, neither do I. Um. So. The the tick is a um a big he's a, a a superhero, a big blue guy, humanoid. Uh huh. Um, but or also tick like one would assume. Well, you never you never see him outside of his costume. Okay. So he he wears like a a it's in most media it's clearly a, a suit of some sort. In um, in the cartoon and in the comic book, and I believe in the uh, the Amazon series that's on now, um, it comes down over his eyes, and he's got he's got eyes, and then he's got like the open mouth, right? Okay. Um, in two thousand one, there was a series with uh, Patrick Warburton, and that was the first one that had it was like a uh, just like a headpiece okay. where you saw his full face. Okay. Um, and that that costume also won. I believe it won an Emmy for uh-huh. the antenna. Did they move? Yeah, they did. No, and cool. they moved separately. Oh, weird. They were remote controlled uh, by someone off, off camera. I wonder whose job that was <clears throat> and if that was the title. Um, antenna controller. I did I did not write it. <laughs> I did not write it down and I, I completely regret it. Um I, I was a huge fan of this this show as a kid, the uh the Patrick Warburton one. Yeah. Um like I said, I didn't I didn't uh don't remember much about the cartoon because from like ninety six when it went off the air to two thousand one there was there was no tick in my life whatsoever. And then in 2001, this show came on, and I was like probably 11 or 12. Okay. So formative years. Yeah. 
this show probably formed my sense of humor. And oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I bought the 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 whole series on DVD, and I would uh, was it DVD at that point? Oh yeah. Oh. <clears throat> and the um, I watched the extras just nonstop. So there there is a story of of Patrick Warburton being in the big blue suit and his kids coming to uh to visit the set and they would freak out. They did not like oh, it. Oh no. It was tremendous. So here's a question. If you never <laughs> see him out of the suit, does he have a regular person alter ego? Does he have a regular name? So the thing about the tick is that depending on the version of the story you get, for various reasons he doesn't know who he is. He's right. just okay. He's just the tick. Okay. Um, in the f- in the very first incarnation of the comic book, um, he escapes from a, a mental institution. Okay. Um, in the Patrick Warburton series, as well as the the Peter Serafinowicz version uh, on Amazon now, he just shows up, mm-hmm. and he claims destiny is guides him. Right. Okay. Um, but that's it. Okay. Um, there are, uh, I, I think in the cartoon I read that there, there was like a, uh, sort of like a hero assignment bureau, mm-hmm. um, and they were so impressed with his abilities that they sent him to the city, mm-hmm. but that's, I think that's the earliest we ever get in terms of who the tickets. is. Right, Okay. And that that's an interesting role reversal of a superhero story because usually you see them as the normal person gaining their superhero identity. And that's so for me that's the the beauty of the tick is that it's it's very much a parody mm-hmm. as well as like a surrealist take on okay. on superheroes. Um and if you know anything about me it's that I I do love superheroes. But even more, I love superheroes that are outside of the mainstream. Sure, sure. Because just like you can, you can have like a mainstream, and that's interesting for a while. But after like a certain point, things start to get kind of stale, and you see the same thing over and over yeah. again. I've seen Peter Parker die three times. Yeah, and that's just in uh, <clears throat> Into the Spider Verse. Fair. <laughs> Uh, so okay, so four times, <laughs> um, but um, yeah. So I I I really, uh, really love the tick. I won't focus on the show, but here's some facts about the show. Okay. Um, uh, Patrick Warburton was the tick. David Burke is Arthur, who is a um, he's he's a guy in a moth costume. So hold on, you're talking about the the 2001 show. Yes. Okay. Yes. Not the new one. Right. Um, Arthur is a guy in a moth costume who can fly. Uh huh. And for the most part, I'm not 100% sure about the comic, but both TV series and I think the cartoon sort of revolve around the tick coming to Arthur. Okay. Um, and there's a, a big, you know, through line about Arthur becoming a superhero and becoming um, the tick's sidekick okay and learning how to fly yeah i i did watch the new series i think watched the first half of the yeah of the first season Uh, so i I know that much yeah um nesta carbonell 
was Batman Well. And Liz Vassy is a character called Captain Liberty. The pilot was directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, hot off of Wild Wild West. Oh, huh. Um, he'd also done uh, Men in Black in 97. And then Men in Black 2 in 2002, right after he did The Tick. Okay. Interesting to <clears throat> Um For this show... Uh, the executive producer, Larry Charles, sought to create a character camaraderie similar to that of Seinfeld. Uh, so pretty much just people hanging out. Reference that was also lost on me. Yep. I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk about it. Connected to that, though, uh, create while working on the pilot, the creator, uh, Ben Edlin, described the series as closer in tone to the comic book, favoring character over action, and painting a superhero a superheroic portrait of genuine human lameness. Yeah, all right. And Why not, I suppose? And that's kind of the thing, is that um, in this show, the, the the superheroes are all just kind of... Not that they're, you know, they're not lame like civilians, mm-hmm. but they're all just kind of bog-standard, mm-hmm. you know, vanilla, run-of-the-mill, whatever. Yeah. Um, guest stars for the series include Ron Perlman, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Kurt Fuller, Armin Shimmerman, and Dave Foley. Um, and I know you only know who like three of those people yep. are. So I'm not in politely. Um, so let's watch the first episode. Well, that explains a lot about you. Woof. <laughs> it. Doesn't surprise me how much you hated that. Oh, it was horrible. Every second was a horrible cringe. All right. But as I was reminded, the show is not why we're here. So this is from Wikipedia. This is where the the comic book came from. So in 1986, 18-year-old cartoonist Ben Edlin created The Tick as a mascot for a newsletter of the Norwood, Massachusetts store New England Comics. Where he was a customer. Edlin expanded this into stories, beginning with the three-page tale, The Tick, in the New England Comics newsletter, number 14 and 15, in which the hero escapes from a mental institution, like I said. And that's the origin of The Tick. Uh, the character became popular enough that the store financed a black-and-white comic book series, and the first issue released in June of 1988. Okay. The, uh, the Tick's Superpowers, uh, superhuman strength, and uh, mass. So it's never actually measured or quantified in any tangible way. Um, but in the recent Amazon series, Peter Serafinowicz as the tick claims to have the strength of 10, perhaps 20 men. A crowded bus stop of men. He is nigh invulnerable, uh, meaning he cannot be harmed in any tangible way. He laughs at villainy and invites their blows. However, he does feel pain, especially in regards to his antenna, uh, as well as his feelings. Boo. Uh, the tick can also get sick. Um, I do remember an episode of the cartoon where he gets a cold and he has to fight like a snot version of himself. He gets that sick. And finally, the tick has drama power. Uh, where he gets stronger and more powerful as the situation becomes more dramatic. Okay, cool. I like to pick. I like to pick up the tick on Free Comic Book Day, 
Yeah, uh, I got you one one time. That's right. There's uh, there's pretty generally uh, a free comic book day issue. Um, we missed the chance to catch uh, some of the tick collections while we were in New Zealand, of mm-hmm. all places. But if you want uh, a fun uh, superhero story that's uh, silly and a little gross, I encourage you to do the same. I don't. Uh, you know what? I, I can see why you like it. The The new series that we began to watch updated that quite uh, a yeah. bit. And it, yeah. it made it palatable. It's, yeah. What we watched was... It, it's Almost. like extreme nineties, oh. but also like super gross cliche parody. Uh, yeah, and it just doesn't work at, anymore. At this point, that series is twenty years old. Yep, almost. Okay, that's the tick. That's the episode. Um, let's uh, spin let's the wheel. Spin the wheel. Music. Okay. Oh, all right, all right, okay, interesting. Okay, right. That's it. Okay. That that to be real good for you. Yeah. Oh, I've got some gems. Um, and I have country music, so. <laughs> Texas boy. Ugh. <laughs> uh, okay. See so. you next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait, hang on a sec. We forgot to do the plugs. Uh, you can find me uh at Toto and Toe on Twitter and Instagram, that's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. And if you want to hear me talk about uh, more comics that Jess doesn't like, you can listen to me on uh, The Comics Pals on SoundCloud, Spotify. No, not Spotify. We're not on Spotify yet. I think we're on Stitcher. Pandora? No, we're still working on Pandora. Don't know why you're looking at me for this information. I don't know. Why not? I don't listen. Man. Whoa. I mean, I, I, I listen religiously. It's my favorite. Oh, the blows <laughs> from the person that's supposed to have my heart. I love you so much. Oh, do you love me enough to take this dagger out of my back? No, because then you'll bleed to death. Yikes. <laughs> and you can find me, not very actively, on Twitter at Jen91, J-I-A-N-91. Okay, now I'm going to go to the hospital because this dagger's in my back. You might have to drive. 